Well, good morning, church. And uh, to our Boy Scouts, uh, Cub Scouts, uh, grateful for you all helping and parents, uh, glad you're here as well. And those who are worshiping online, we, uh, we're glad you're worshiping with us. And uh, thanks for, for tuning in and worshiping. So um, why have we started doing communion every week? Uh, I've been asked that uh, actually by a number of folks, and well, the truth is there's been a shift of, uh, in the balance of power in our church, uh, the ex-Catholics now outnumber the ex-Baptists. So. <laughs> okay, I'm just joking, um, and, and I want to assure you my Catholic upbringing is not creeping in here on this, Okay. We do not do balance of power in the church. It's Jesus. <laughs> um, but it's a very fair question, uh, actually. And, and I want to take a week uh, out of our series uh, in Hebrews to uh, look at uh, communion uh, and give an answer. I hope to give a, an answer to this question. Um, and by looking at Paul's instruction in 1 Corinthians 11 to the Corinthians regarding communion. So uh, let's look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So the question is, you know, how often should we observe the Lord's Supper, uh, communion, the table of the Lord? Uh, when I first arrived in Montreat in 1989, uh, I think communion was quarterly. Um, me, that was 83, I arrived. When I came back uh, in 89 on staff, uh, the church had moved to monthly observance. And that's pretty much remained our practice uh, until uh, recent years where we've added seasons of, of weekly communion, such as during Lent. Um, I remember a man in our church years ago, he's now home with the Lord uh, and knows better, but um, he told me, you know, communion once a year was enough. (laughs) 
And then you want to say as well, you know, uh, frequent communion, especially weekly communion, would cause it to lose its meaning. And while that has the sound of logic, wisdom, I, I question the logic. Why don't we say that about the sermon? Songs, prayers, other parts of the worship service. Why do we only say that about communion? Now, some might contend that we could better appreciate communion if we, if we set aside certain Sundays through the year uh, for it and, and really you know, built up a focus on it. But we need to be careful of trying to build up the table. We don't need a more elaborate service in observance. Regular observance tied to the preaching of the word is powerful enough. But it is true, you know, as with all aspects of worship, communion could become a stale thing that we do if we just mindlessly approach it. So what does Scripture say about this? I mean, that's really the point, isn't it? What does Scripture say about communion? Well, clearly, the Bible does not command weekly communion. Jesus simply told us, we read verse 24, do this in remembrance of me. And he said as well, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, the phrase of interest there is as often as. So it seems that there's freedom, doesn't it? There, regarding frequency of communion. You know, no command, just that communion be in remembrance of Christ. Okay, but how, how often did the early church observe the table? Well, uh, we can glean some uh, of, of an answer from the book of Acts, um, and it seems that they had frequent communion. And uh, I want to make a distinction here in the book of Acts. Whenever you're reading Acts, we have to keep in mind there's, that there's a difference, a distinction sometimes between what is prescripted, you know, commanded, go do this, and what is descriptive, it's just what they did. Okay. And I would put the frequency of communion under the descriptive category in the book of Acts. So Acts 2.42, communion is listed as part of, of the worship of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And most scholars uh, understand that the breaking of bread was communion, and it was actually part of a larger meal uh, in the early church. Uh, but it seems that every time the church gathered, they did these four things, and one of them was breaking bread, communion. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, Paul was in Troas for seven days. And in uh, Acts 20, verse 7, we read, on the first day of the week, okay, that would be Sunday, okay, their, their regular day of worship, the resurrection day. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. So over the course of seven days, Paul was there. And did the church observe communion, you know, breaking of bread, you know, every day? Well, it seems they did so only on the first day of the week, Sunday, which was the last day that Paul was there. Well, did they do it because Paul was present? Or was this their regular practice? See, now again, we can't be dogmatic about this, but the language seems to indicate that they gathered to break bread on the first day of the week. That was their weekly practice, and Paul just happened to be there for it. Here in our passage, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, the fact of the abuse of the Lord's Supper, that it was going on and was such a problem, seems to suggest that the Lord's Supper was held frequently. When you come together, okay, that's, a, that's language for when you gather for worship. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. 
Uh, and again, this wording suggests that they gathered, uh, we assume it was weekly, and they ate a meal when they did so. And they had a large meal. We'll come to that more of that later here. But uh, that meal, they intended to be the Lord's Supper. Well, again, I, I think as we look at the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians here, that there, there's no biblical command for weekly communion. Uh, but it does seem the early church gathered weekly, and when they did, they, they observed a meal together, which involved communion. Again, I think all that is descriptive, not prescriptive. We have freedom in this, as often as you eat and drink. That's, that's the word of the Lord. Okay, so if we have freedom, how come our leadership has chosen weekly rather than monthly frequency? Well, it's because we believe the table is an absolute vital part of our discipleship, helping us in an even greater way to hear, believe, and experience afresh the grace of the gospel. Um, as, we, as we think about what the table is and what, what's going on at this table, um, think of the Lord's Supper as a, as a triple locket uh, that we open every week, a triple locket. And uh, the central picture in this locket is Jesus. Um, he says, verse 20, uh, Paul says, verse 24, 25, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This uh, cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the Lord's Supper is not about what we bring to the table, but what Jesus brings and gives, and it's himself. This is my body, my blood. And the is in Jesus' statement, you know, this is my body. Well, this has caused quite a debate in church history. What does is mean? <laughs> Catholics think it means that the elements act, become the actual body and blood of Jesus. But then, is he dying all over again? You know, Protestants don't go that far. Uh, well, perhaps Jesus is in with and under. Uh, that's a Lutheran view. Uh, but reform types, we do not see a physical presence of Jesus in or with the elements. Nor do we see this as some mere memorial observation for a loved one, as for a loved one who's died. You know, you know we, we aren't here to cherish you know, the memory uh, of Jesus. No, to remember means to bring forward. And we believe that Jesus Christ is present at this table, he is here by his Holy Spirit, and we, by faith, uh, as, we, as we take these elements in our hands, we are being spoken to by Jesus. We are being strengthened by the grace of Jesus at the table. See, we own and we renew in our hearts the truth of the new covenant that Jesus established by his death. The old covenant was all about law and works, measuring up, making the grade, which we did not. But of the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, Jesus says, and this was actually part of our, our call to worship this morning. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. The new covenant is a decisive act of God in Christ on our behalf. Jesus paid our debt of sin. He has made us his people. Deal done. 
Now, I know I am so uncool <laughs> to be quoting a rapper, uh, <laughs> but I found this lyric, and it applies to what we're looking at with Jesus at the table, and it's from the rapper Propaganda, um, <laughs> and I'm not going to rap it, uh, but, uh, but here's the lyric, his righteousness, his death functions as payment, wrote a check with his life. But at the resurrection, we all cheered because that means the check cleared. The check cleared. When we look at Jesus at this table, he is telling us debt paid, sin forgiven, check cleared, proof risen from the dead. I've done it all. And I don't think, we don't think we can be reminded of that too much. We live in a, a material, sensory age, uh, and, and we are aggressively bombarded with messages left and right that we don't measure up, that Christ is not worth it. And weekly communion is an absolute counter to that, to this aggressive age where Jesus puts a, a, a visible, sensory, material element in our hands. And he says, just as truly as you can see and hold and taste this bread and cup, so truly, I died for you. I have forgiven you. I love you. You are mine. Check cleared. It is all settled. God's opinion of you is a settled matter. And that's what we're celebrating at the table and we believe weekly communion is, is just such a tremendous aid to our faith in this, this day and age of confusion and brutal false narratives out there that we may know and feel and confirm who we really are in Jesus. Look at him. Look at Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me is what he says. But there's a second picture in this triple locket of communion. Paul tells us to look at ourselves. You know, look at you. <laughs> Verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let a person examine himself. Now, this doesn't mean do a spiritual autopsy. Um, if, you, if you come to this table uh, and you feel like, ah, I'm just not doing communion right, you know your spiritual failure, you know, gosh, how can I possibly get rid of all my sin and clear my heart out for Jesus? Well, relax. That's not what Paul means here. He is not saying confess every sin you can think of and so become worthy to come to this table as if that were even possible. <laughs> the point is to acknowledge I'm a mess, Lord. Sin is there, I can't whip it. I can't on my own strength and ingenuity conquer it and make myself presentable to you. I need Jesus. See, worthy participation is just knowing your need of Jesus and resting in him. In examining yourself, ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind and heart anything that is in the way of knowing Jesus, that's getting in the way of his love and grace. And if he shows you something, confess it. But you know, also this examination of ourselves, yes, we absolutely deal with sin, um, but we, we should come to this table absolutely confident of who we are in Jesus. See yourself 
in light of who you are in him. Walk in your identity. Jesus died for you. And now you, messed up you, failing you, stumbling you, you are his. You are loved. You are forgiven. Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, and he still does. Sinners whom he forgives and befriends. Christian, you are welcome at this table. And in this age of hate and confusion and doubt about who we are, we need regular reminding and in tangible ways, sensory ways, that we are those who are loved and welcomed by Jesus Christ. One quick sidebar, children. The table is a fabulous way to disciple children in their gospel identity. Mom, dad, here's opportunity to speak with your children of their need of Jesus, what he has done for them, and who they are in, in him. And when they can understand that you know, this is not snack time, but a time to meet Jesus and receive confirmation of his love and his grace, well, then they're ready to come to the table. And we who are pastors in this church and the elders, we would really like to meet with you and your, your child or your children before they participate in communion for the first time, simply to, to help welcome them and solidify their understanding of what's going on. So I encourage you, give us a call. We'd love to meet with you. This examination, though, is, is serious. Paul indicates, verse 30, that the abuse of the table uh, in Corinth led to horrendous consequences. Weakness, illness, even death. So we, we want to be serious about the examine. Yeah, look for sin, but wow, look at Jesus. Know who you are in him. Well, look at Jesus, look at yourself. But there's a third picture in this locket of communion, and it's one we often ignore. Uh, we, we are so individualistic in our uh, approach to faith and communion, um, but God is not. Jesus died to create a people. We are part of a community. And the third picture is look at others. Paul says, verse 29, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, discerning the body, what body? (laughs) Is this the body and blood of Jesus, you know, of the Lord, verse 27? Or is this some, the, the body of Christ, you know, something else, meaning the church? Well, interesting, after verse 29, where we we read this, um, the word body is used down into chapter 12 18 times. And every time it means the body of Christ, the church. And even here in 1 Corinthians 11, the church is what Paul says you are failing, Corinthians, to look at. And and to give consideration to. You're brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not doing this. You're failing to look at others. So what was going on here in Corinth was, um, you know, the communion was part of a full meal. And, uh, you know, the church gathered in a large home, probably the home of a wealthy person. And in a large home, there was a covered dining area called a triclinium. Uh, It's kind of like your dining room at home. And it had room for maybe nine to 12 people to sit at a table. The overflow crowd, though, went into the atrium. Uh, That was a large uncovered courtyard, and it might hold 30 to 50 people uh, in in the atrium. Well, okay, think back to your dreadful school cafeteria days, okay, you know, and the social groups, the cool table, the jock table, 
the nerdy losers table, you know. And there were always loners scattered about. And all, all the other kinds of groups, you know, uh, at the middle school cafeteria or something. Well, these types of divisions were happening in Corinth as well and at the Lord's Supper. Most likely the owner of the house sat in the triclinium with his buddies. A wealthy person had servants. Well, servants are not going to be sitting in the triclinium with their masters. So even if they ate, it was in the atrium with the others who were not part of the in-group. And the meal, well, it was more of a brown bag affair. Everybody brought food for themselves and maybe a little bit extra to share with, with others. Well, the poor among them didn't have any food really to bring, and the rich weren't sharing their lunch. Some people brought more than enough to drink. In fact, they were getting drunk they had so much. It was like happy hour at the Lord's table. And others weren't getting a drop. The Corinthian supper was not the Lord's supper, Paul says. It was a meal that was full of greed, indifference, and selfishness. And Paul rebukes them for this in verse 22, where he says, you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing. He then goes on to tell them, verse 33, to wait for one another. And that can also be translated, share with one another. All that meant was, look at others when you come to the table. Well, what does this mean for us? Because we're not having a full meal here. We're not brown bagging you know, lunch. Um, for us, uh, you know, we, we all get a little bit of the bread and, and cup, and there's plenty for everybody. So what's the big deal for us? Well, I, I, I think for us to discern the body, means to move beyond the self-centered individualism of our culture and consider that we're part of, of Christ's community. We are not our own, we are his, and we are part of his body. So if I'm at odds with a brother or sister in Christ, if I put up walls of division, I'm actually despising the church of God, and I need to forgive others who've wronged me and perhaps later go and ask for forgiveness of those I've wronged. You know, we're, we're, we're just celebrating another supper. Not the Lord's Supper, but some other supper if God's grace doesn't help us see others and change how we relate to one another. One of the ways I try to discern the body um, during communion to, to see the church is to pray for others. Uh, so I watch you. I uh, hope that doesn't sound creepy, but, uh, um, but you know, I'm usually over here, and uh, as at least I get to watch half of you, uh, and as you're walking by, um, I'm just praying for you. I'm blessing you in the name of the Lord. Young, old, male, female, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. For some, I know your story, I know your struggles, I know your needs, and I'm just, I'm just praying God's blessing on your life. Some of you stop and ask for prayer, and that's great. Well, as you come forward for communion or as you sit in your seat uh, uh, waiting to come or after you've, you've come, um, you know, quietly pray for those around you. Pray for those you see in the church. Um, you know, yes, you've you got you to gotta do business yourself before the Lord, uh, believing the gospel and receiving the, uh, the, the grace of God, but, but then pray for others to be able to do that as well.
Every one of us is broken. Every one of us is needy. Pray for God's grace and work in the lives of your brothers and sisters. Pray for unity in our congregation that we together may know how long and high and wide and deep is the love of Jesus for us. Very interesting, Jesus in, in the instructions that are given in John's gospel, John 13, you know, there's, he's at the Last Supper and he washes the feet of the disciples, but then he gives them a command. You remember what that command is? That you should love one another as I have loved you. How interesting, even at the Lord's Supper there, he says, I want you to see one another and I want you to love one another. I mean, it's just the, the outgrowth of this table, the one who's loved us, we are now to love others as we've been loved. Look at Jesus, look at yourself, look at the body of Christ. Weekly communion helps us do all of this, connecting us uh, in, in a visible, material, uh, sensory kind of way to the, to the grace of the gospel, the grace of God in the gospel. Now, we understand that not everybody wants to participate every week, and, and that is absolutely fine if you don't participate. No judgment there, no judgment. Uh, currently, with all the issues from COVID and germs, uh, we uh, feel the safest manner is uh, for communion is to come forward rather than pass the plate and everybody, you know, 100 people touch uh, what you're going to then touch. Um, and so we're going to come forward for a while. Um, and as for being routine, well, we, don't want, we, we do want to monitor that. Uh, and there may be times where we don't have communion. But for right now, you know, for our encouragement, for our building up in the faith, we believe the spiritual benefits of weekly communion outweigh the danger of routine, the routine of the table, the good news of Jesus and his grace proclaimed in the, in the preached word is made visible and tangible here at the table. Why not take advantage as often as we gather in worship? Amen.